As we come today, we have some special, not guests, but special members on stage with me today. And they're not going to be moving to the name region. They're going to a place that is unnamed. Unnamed because of uh, the difficulty and the severity of being Christian in the country that they're looking at going to. I want you to get to know Troy and Sheree Hall. been members of the church for, for quite a while now. You're a drummer in the back there, but you're not going to be with us much longer. Tell us what's going on. What's new and happening in your family and your life? Yeah, we have uh, joined with a team of uh, three other families moving to a place that uh, basically what we just experienced as far as worship is illegal. Mm-hmm. And um, we're doing it out of the obedience of, of God, uh, His calling on our lives. Are you crazy? I mean, I mean, there has to be something that goes on in, in family members' minds and, and some of the people out here's mind. Why would you leave secure, safe, comfortable America to go there? To answer your question, are we crazy? A lot of people say we are. Um, as far as why, we just have a strong um, desire and passion to see people reached for Jesus Christ that don't know them. We have the luxury of going to every street corner and knowing Jesus Christ or hearing his name and what he did for us. And um, they don't get that chance, maybe not even once in their lifetime unless people go. Wow. Can you kind of paint for us a picture of what kind of climate you're walking into? Spiritual climate is what I'm speaking of. What kind of, what is, what's the, what are you walking into when you get off the plane? It's dark. Um, Spiritual warfare is everywhere. You sense it when you step off the plane. If you are any inkling of a believer in Jesus Christ, you sense it. And um, uh, there is, there's no hope. Uh, you look in the eyes of this people group and, and especially just walking the streets and having the opportunity to just do a head nod or a smile. And for a split second, they smile back at you. And then they're back in that. Mm-hmm. The only thing I can think of is just, it's, it's a weirdness. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. A lostness there. Yeah, oh, what, what were you say? Yeah. It's folk Muslim, and I think up until the 14th or 15th century, it was Buddhist. So it went from Buddhist to Muslim. And so you're not even talking about any even history uh, 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 of a Christian faith. You're, you, would, you will be some of the very few. In fact, I was reading recently in a, in a recent publication of Operation World, and it said that you're going to a nation where there is 0.07 evangelical Christians. And so you will be truly one of the few followers of Christ at this place. And so what's the, what's the hardest thing as you all prepare to go? Because you'll be leaving here in 2011. And so what is the hardest thing as you prepare to go? That, that helps us identify and helps us to pray for you. I think... Like this morning, I was talking with Will, and uh, it's just stepping out into the unknown. Mm-hmm. We think we know what's going to happen. We, we, we have this vision of, of this business that we're taking to this place, uh, how that's going to portray and lay out and be orchestrated and everything, and we have a piece about it and everything, but we have no clue. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's just, that could say the same thing for each one of our lives here, living here. Mm-hmm. We step out every day into the unknown. We don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen, but... Uh, Going here, is a, I think, is a higher risk of really stepping out into the unknown. Into the unknown. Why this location? What was it about this place that drew you there? 
When we, you don't know what to say, you pass it to your wife. Is well, that what they? So. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cherie. You go ahead. You. Um, <laughs> Why this location? Out of all the places in the world. For several years, we've been trying to go overseas. We went on a short-term trip to India, and we thought that's where we were going to end up. And just every time we tried to make something happen, it didn't. Um, And then during a time in my life when I had no desire to go and minister to others or tell them truth just because I was physically and mentally and spiritually unstable just because of a death and a colicky baby, Mm -hmm. um, this was thrown in our lap. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, I can't do it. I don't have the strength. I can't even take care of me. How can I take care of others? And um, just through that, just learning to really just give everything to him and just totally trust him, whether I thought I was capable or not. Wow. Well, I want you to know, and I say it with our congregation, that you are one of us and that you will remain one of us. And you are not going over there alone. But even as we give... We are taking a portion of that and giving it to you to do the work in a very dark place, spiritually dark, very bright with sun, but very dark spiritually. And so we want to pray for you. We want to stand with you. We want to support you in any number of ways. And so as William Carey said, you're going, I'm going down to the pit. You hold the rope. Well, the church here is going to be holding the rope as you go down. And so uh, let's pray together and just commit you all to the Lord and we'll continue to pray for you and continue to support you well beyond today. Okay, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to just spend a, a few seconds that really we should be spending minutes and hours of deep, serious, concentrated prayer because we live in a bubble. We live in an ideal setting where Christianity could be shared freely and openly, where we can put Jesus bumper stickers on our cars and we can wear Jesus t-shirts wherever we go. But, but Lord, we're, we're sending out two of ours, four of ours, if you count the children, and for sure they are part of the, the mix, Lord. We're, we're sending out from our family, a family to a very dark place, to, an, to a nation that, Lord absolutely persecutes followers of you. And Lord, it's, it's, it's past many of our understanding. But Lord, we stand with the halls and we bow our knees with the halls. And Lord, we pray that as their lives are changed, our lives are changed. And that Father, as we ask for blessings for us, we stop and we ask long and hard, fervent blessings upon them. And that, Lord, as we spend on ourselves, we'll take time and realize that we should spend on the nations of the world that don't know you, that need to know you, that lack the resources of knowing you. Lord, open our hearts to a radical new expression of the faith that is not so new that it's actually so old. It's biblical. It's right. Bless the halls. We go with them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you stand with them in support, give them applause as they, as they leave the stage. We are just supporting you as you go. It was nine years ago that Lori and I moved back from, from Zambia to start a church. And whenever we 
began to tell our prayer partners that we were going to start a church and it was going to have a, a missions element from the beginning, we got some pushback. They didn't understand what that would be and look like and smell like and taste like. And, and, I, and I can remember one of the books, and it's actually one of the books, anytime I mentor or in a, in a discipleship relationship with, with people, it's one of the first books that I, I lead people through. It has absolutely been pivotal in my life for a long time, and it's Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And he makes this statement about, about the church. He says the church should be this. Every congregation is a world missions strategy center. That's a bold statement. Because I really like to think of agencies that kind of do that for me. I like to think of professional hired missionaries who have been trained in, in theological schools that they'll go do that for me. I don't think of myself as that kind of person. If you only knew the halls, the halls have not been to seminary. The halls are business people in the world. She's a homemaker. They're common people putting on shoes and feet and their pants just like you and I do every single day. But they are answering something that's deep down inside of them. They're realizing something that has been a prayer of Grace Point Church from our beginning. And we didn't know how cool or or, or relevant or sexy it might be to come back and start a mission-minded church, a missions church, a church that would put the unchurched ahead of our own religiosity, that we would be a church for the unchurched. We didn't know how cool that and accepted that would be. And we didn't even know how cool it would be to be a church that would be a global church and not just a local church. But we knew in our calling by God, that that's what we needed to start. If this church was only 50 and we never grew beyond 50, or if it was 5,000 or whatever it would be, that that would be front burner for us. And the realization is, is that it so quickly can move off of that. If we don't constantly bring it back to center stage, we will not be a world mission strategy center. Take your Bibles and be finding the book of Acts chapter 1. Probably one of the more familiar passages of Scripture. So really, even as we go into this, it's not one of those that needs a whole lot of context. But just to give you a little bit of context, and we're in the chronological sections of Scripture. We're in the chronological New Testament section. And Acts is kind of the end of the narrative section of Scriptures. And when you come to, to Acts and you come to this passage, you find that... Jesus is moving off stage and he's moving his church to center stage. And what he's doing is he's amplifying the work of the Spirit in the church. As Jesus moves off and ascends into heaven, prepares a place for us, will come again someday for us, he is leaving behind his Holy Spirit. He is leaving behind a few struggling, flailing followers of His that He will empower with His Spirit to do a global work. And the radical emphasis of today is realizing that we're not finished when it's just us four, no more, and we shut the door. We're not finished when it's just me and my little comfortable family in a little comfortable church being fed week by week. We're not finished when that task, we are we even there yet? Are we on this journey, this road? Are we there? We're not there until we get to the ends of the earth. Until we realize and fulfill what God has called us to do from the very beginning of His church. 
When you go to the book of Acts, chapter 1, you find Jesus again preparing for His ascension, preparing for His departure, and He's in the last 40 days of His days upon the earth. It's following the resurrection and before His ascension, before the day of Pentecost, and here we are. We are he is giving His last charge. And He has basically in these last days emphasizing two things, the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God. How is the kingdom of God going to work and how is the Spirit of God going to work in the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And all along through the book of Acts, you'll find Him emphasizing this. In these last 40 days, you find Him emphasizing the kingdom of God, that it is not about some geographical, political party institution out there. God's not Republican and He's not Democrat. He's not, he's not Tea Party or anything. He is not monarchy. He is not democracy. He is His own kingdom. And it is about His kingdom. And He is establishing His kingdom. And that is the most important kingdom. And He's doing that work through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you take those two together, what, what's all that about? He uses His followers to establish His kingdom on the earth through the power and the presence of His Spirit. And guys, I've given you the New Testament in one sentence right there. It is God's work, His kingdom being established on earth through His followers in the power and the presence of the Spirit of God. That's the New Testament. And if we're not about that, then we're not about the New Testament. If we're not about seeing His kingdom established on the earth in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, then we're missing something. What we're doing is we're doing a whole lot of sideways stuff over here on the side, and we're missing it. The radical call of God on our lives that we speak of, and we've been talking about radical for some time, is that whole charge to go to the very ends of the earth. That whole charge to to get uncomfortable, and it will call us at times to be quite uncomfortable when we think about going to the ends of the earth, when we think about being stretched like that. There was a quote I came across this past week. I even posted it on my Facebook status, but it's a quote that I think absolutely sums up the levels of comfort and security that we long for in our life. And yet, 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 the work that God wants to do in our life. Look at this statement. It's uh, by Gail Sheehy. It says this. It says, Growth demands a temporary surrender of security. We like security. We long for secure businesses, homes, finances. We like secure relationships. But what happens when God begins to grow us, He moves us, He changes us, He stretches us, He moves us outside of our comfort zone, outside of our security, and He moves us to a level of discomfort, to a level of uncomfort, to a level of even being risky at times. And it demands that. Growth demands a level of surrender to the security of our life. I want us to talk about today, real quickly, the four peoples that you and I need to be about. Four peoples out there that need to know the Jesus story that we speak of. Because what what God is trying to raise up in His followers, He's trying to raise up world-class followers. World-class followers. You have to ask yourself the question, am I a world-class follower of Christ? A world-class follower of Christ is a person that realizes that Jesus is up to something and it is His witness in our world that we're supposed to be about. 
It is His witness. We have something inside of us. It's called the Spirit of God. We have a story inside of us. It's called the work of God. And He is working in us with the Spirit of God in us. And what we are to do is to be about being His witnesses in the world. We're world-class followers of Christ whenever we do that. I want you to jot these four peoples that we need to be engaging with the Jesus story that's inside of us. One is you need to be engaging your peeps, peers, and parents, all right? Think about it like that. Your peeps, peers, if you don't know what a peep is, talk to somebody about 20 years old, they'll tell you what a peep is. It's your friends, your peeps, your peers, and your parents. I'm going to call parents basically the family. Who in your family, who in your circle, who are closest to you that are not yet followers of Christ? Who do you know, who do you work with that you need to tell the Jesus story, that needs to have the Jesus story written on their hearts? Now this again is a passage of Scripture that's very common to us all. I want us to look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says this, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit, again, that's one of the very elements in the last 40 days of Jesus' time on the earth that He emphasized. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be My witnesses. Underscore that, circle that. You need to be unpacking that. What does it mean to be witnesses? When the Holy Spirit is upon me, when the Holy Spirit comes to me, I'm going to be doing something. I'm going to be about something. These are the last words of Jesus I'm going to be about something. I'm going to be a witnesses where in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses, if you think about that, is pretty simple. We think about that and we think about it in a, in a legal, in a courtroom setting. A witness can make or break a case. A witnesses can convince a jury whether or not that person is guilty or innocent. One word, one phrase, the right attorney bringing it out can absolutely seal a life or seal a death. Can bring life, can bring death. We, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with the words and the life that we live, can bring life or we can bring death. Just by our words or lack thereof. A silent who pleads the witness, who pleads the fifth, can literally seal again a death of somebody. Think about it for a moment. We are called not to say something that we don't know, not to talk about algebra when we don't know algebra, not to talk about chemistry when we don't know chemistry. We're just supposed to talk about what we know about. We're just supposed to talk about what's gone on inside of us. We're just supposed to talk about what's what we've experienced. That's the beauty of what God has called us to do. We're to be witnesses. What's a witness? A witness has experienced something, witnessed something, has gone through something. You are a witness. I am a witness. But we're not doing it alone. We're doing it in the power of God's Spirit. So now when you bring in your, 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 your peeps and your peers and, and your parents, now when you think about your family, Think about it for a moment. Who in your family, again, needs a witness? Needs somebody to speak into their life from your life because you've got the God story going on. You have family members. You have people very close to you. You have maybe your parents, maybe your brothers or your sisters. And the great thing is, is that when you're that close to them, you can look at it not as an appointment, not as an event that you put on a calendar. It's a process. You go through a process of sharing your witness. You share your story. 
Now, what is it that you share in your story? Just to kind of give you some direction so you're not meandering about. Because I know when you're talking to family members, I've got family members that I would say today that are far from God. I've got some peeps that are far from God. I've got some peers that I wonder sometimes how close they are to God. So how is it that I am to communicate with them? How is it? What is it that I'm supposed to get across to them? There's a couple of things that I want to share as I share the God story inside of me. I want to share with them how I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. That's pretty simple, I know. But listen, it's the great thing is that you're just telling your story. Tell about your life before Christ. What was it like before Christ? Tell them that. Tell them about how you realized you came to a bankrupt moment. The great thing about the, the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, we don't get heaven until we are first bankrupt in our spirit. So talk about your bankruptcy moment with God. Whenever you were poor and broken and how you needed a Savior. Now, if you're like me, you grew up in church. You went to church nine months before you were ever born, but the realization was, as I still realized one day, that I was bankrupt as an eight-year-old kid, and I needed Jesus. So tell them your story about your life before. Tell them then how you realized you could be saved. There was hope. It wasn't hopelessness. There was hope out there. It's this really simple process. Tell them about that day, that moment, that encounter with God, whenever you experienced His grace. And you realized you could be saved. And then lastly, how you were saved. Who was it? When did it happen? What place? Think about those three statements right there. If you think about those three statements, those three statements outline, I think, a full representation of God's story in you. And I would say this, when I'm sharing with somebody in incognito and uh, on the side as a pastor or, or just as a friend, I think about, have I shared with them this? That they're a sinner and they need to be saved. They can be saved and how to be saved. See, really what you're doing is you're giving them the bad news. You're giving them the good news. Then you're giving them the best news. Because the bad news is they're a sinner. The good news is there, there is hope. The best news is that you yourself can become a follower of Christ. That's the good news. That's the best news that we can share. Let's do it. Now when you come to the end of that in this organic kind of encounter with them, what is it that you ask? Ask them a couple of questions. Ask them, number one, have you ever established a relationship with Jesus like this? The story that you just told of your life, just ask Him a simple question. It's non-confrontational. Have you? Oh, we're getting close to confrontation, you might say, but have you ever established a relationship like this? Now, you might find them dancing at this point. You might find them talking about, oh, yes, I went to church and I was christened. Or, I, yes, I, I went through this ceremony. At what? No, no, no. Talk about the relationship. Emphasize the relationship. Emphasize the God story. Tell me about your God story and how God has worked in your life. Don't focus on the religious ceremonies and rituals. And then, if they haven't, ask them this question. Is there any reason why today you would not be willing to give your life to following Jesus? Pretty simple. Pretty simple. You have a story. Hopefully you have a story, a God story of a story that's being made in your life, it's being created in your life, it's being made up, it's being told and crafted in your life. Take that story now and tell that story to your peeps, your peers, and your parents. Really what, what, what witnessing is, it's one beggar telling another beggar 
where to find bread. Because none of us are perfect, and none of us need to pretend to be perfect and have it all figured out. We're just one hungry person who's found some bread over here, and I want to help another hungry person find bread. That's what witnessing is. It's so scary, I know, when we talk about it. There's, there's one thing that is very certain, that the person who is sharing, it's very intimidating because you think all the questions, all the answers, you, you don't have to know it all. You've got the story of God being written in you. Just tell them about it. Tell them the story. And I'll tell you right now, if there's any area in my life that, that I struggle with, it's in this area right here. I am such a task-driven person. And so I'm giving you a confession. I'm giving you a matter of prayer for me, and, and I'll pray for you the same. But I am such a task-driven person. Many times I am so much on task that I'm not on mission. I will literally pass by my neighbors and friends and not realize that, that right next to me are people, my neighbors, who are not followers of Christ. But I can go right past them because I'm going to do God's work over there that I miss God's work right here. Don't miss the peeps, the peers, and your parents. They're your first circle. They're your Jerusalem. He tells us, you're going to be my witness in Jerusalem. That's where their feet was standing. That's where He was when He gave them the commission. That's where He was when the Spirit came. That's where they were. They were right there. Start where you're at and go out from there. The second group of people that we need to be thinking about and sharing with is are those in your connections, your crowds, and your cousins. These are the ones that are a little bit further out. This is your Judea. Now, you've got to realize, if you looked at it geographically on a map, you have Jerusalem here. Well, where is Judea? Judea is all around Jerusalem. It's not a separate city. It's actually the region. It's kind of like saying Rogers or Bentonville is in Arkansas or is in the northwest Arkansas region. It's, it's kind of like a region. Now I'm reaching out. I'm going beyond my immediate peers and peeps and parents. I'm now reaching those that are around me and surrounded around me. Those that are close uh, in proximity. Maybe they're an affinity. Maybe I'll meet them at the at a soccer mom uh, convention, or maybe I'll meet them on a golf uh, on a golf course. Maybe I'm not going to spend a lot of time with them. But listen, maybe it's going to be a waiter at my table at lunch today but I'm going to have relationships with people that are going to come and go. They're in connections. They're in crowds. They're cousins. They're not immediately, but they're close. They're in my Judea, but they're not in my... I won't see them every day. I might just see them occasionally. But what I can do in my life and in my world is I can be a witness in this world. It's, it's harder at this level. I'll tell you this. It's harder and it's easier in some respects. It's harder because you don't know them. There's not established relationship. So you have to be very strategic about how you share your faith. It's also easier because sometimes your peeps, your peers, and your parents, they know all the dirt on you. And so that may be a harder circle to share in. I can tell you this uh, recently when I was in Singapore... I went to a restaurant just trying to stay awake. It was off hours and all that kind of stuff from American time, 12 hours difference or 13 hours difference. And I was sitting in this restaurant and I was, it was about seven or eight o'clock at night. Should have been a lot of people in the restaurant. I was the only one. It was the only Tex-Mex restaurant I found. I thought, Tex-Mex Singapore doesn't go together, but I got to try it out. And so I, I tried it out. I went into the restaurant and I sat down. I was the only one in there. That's always a warning sign. If you're the only one in the restaurant, then that's not a good thing. But I think more than anything, because the food wasn't bad, I think it was a God moment. Because this 27-year-old waitress comes up to me and she takes my order and immediately recognizes my American accent and immediately wants to talk to me. 
So she takes my order, places the order in. Only, only people in the entire restaurant are myself, the waitress, and the cook. So the cook starts preparing, and she comes back to me, takes my drink order, and we begin to talk and converse some more. And she wants to know what I do and what I'm doing in Singapore. Now, that's always an uncomfortable conversation for me to have because anytime I drop the P word, pastor, anytime I drop the P word, it just closes off conversations. So I'm trying to figure out what my new title is going to be because I'm trying to get away from closing those kind of doors. So I just told her I'm a spiritual life coach. Well, that intrigued her. A spiritual life coach? I said, yeah. So she wanted to talk more. So she's standing up right now talking to me about what it means to be a spiritual life coach. I just tell people, I just, I just tell people, go through the journey of life and to somehow in that journey connect with God, their creator. She said, that's pretty cool. I want to hear more. So now we have a conversation. And we start into this conversation and it goes for 30 minutes now. We're talking. I'm eating and she's sitting down now across from me and she's telling me about her life. She's telling me about where she's messed up at 27 and all the mistakes that she's made. She's got tattoos that she doesn't want anymore and they say bad things and she doesn't know how to get those off. And she's, she's trying to think about this bad decision and this broken relationship. And I'm having a spiritual conversation over quesadillas in Singapore with a Jessica who needs to know Jesus. She grew up Catholic. She grew up Catholic, but she's an agnostic. She doesn't know what she believes. And it was a beautiful conversation to end 30 minutes later and to pray with her in this restaurant and to pray with her about her life. And you know what? I had no connection. She was just one of the crowd. She wasn't even a cousin. She's from Singapore. She was so far removed. But do you realize you can be a witness and I can be a witness to people we don't even know? If we just create and look for conversations when it becomes a part of our dna and it's not some add-on event when it becomes a part of our conversation and it's not some gospel presentation that we've been trained to give when it becomes a part of our life then we are making ripples in the world we're reaching into our judeas we're reaching in to our very uh, our very peeps peers and parents i want to give you another area that we need to be careful of and be mindful of and reach out to. And that is your knots and nobodies. Again, if you were to take a, a map of, uh, uh, of Israel, you would find Jerusalem was here where the disciples were to start their witness, but you would find Judea surrounding that. Again, those are the people they won't have everyday contact with, but people they'll have contact with. But then there was another little area just to the north of Jerusalem, that just to the north of that was Samaria. And just to the north of Samaria was Galilee. The interesting thing is a lot of the, the, the Jews lived in Galilee and a lot of Jews lived in, in, in Jerusalem. No Jew dared to live in Samaria. Samaria was the other side of the tracks. Samaria was where nobody went. Samaria is where, where, the, where the Hebrew people called the half-dog people. They were half-dogs because they were left over from the exile. They were descendants of the exile that stayed in Jerusalem when all the other Jews were taken away and, and carted off into prison in Persia and Babylon. Those were the ones who remained behind, but they ended up intermarrying with the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And so as they intermarried, they were no longer full-blooded Jews. 
So they be not became, they were no longer looked at as true Jewish people. They were now Samaritans. They were half dogs. They were the, the knots and the nobodies. But Jesus gives a commission here when he says, listen, my friends, my followers, you need to pay attention to those on the other side of the tracks. You need to pay attention and you need to be a witness to the knots and the nobodies of your own world. Who in your world is a not and a nobody? Who in your world is not accepted, is not loved, is not embraced, is socially left out at the lunch table when everybody everybody gets their trays and they're looking about where they're going to go next and they're looking around, they see the not and the nobody, but then they look for another spot to go to. Who is it that goes to the nots and the nobodies? It's the person who's a world-class follower of Christ. He makes space, she makes space in her life for the knots and the nobodies of this world. Jesus told the disciples one time, He said, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you gave me something to drink, something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You did all these things for me. And Jesus and the disciples were shaking their heads. They said, what are you talking about, Jesus? When did we do this? And Jesus just said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. I sometimes look at our own culture and I wonder if that can be written about us in our American dream-focused world. This is what Richard Stern, uh, Stern says of World Vision. He said, "For this is his rendition of that same passage. He says, for I was hungry while you had all you needed. This is the way we live. I was thirsty, but you drank your bottled water. I was a stranger and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick and you pointed out the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison and you said I was getting what I deserved. See, I wonder sometimes if we live that way versus the way that Jesus calls us to live. Who is a not? Just don't, 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 don't worry about five or six. Just identify one or two right now in your life of people in your circles, in your world, that are the knots and the nobodies. Are you willing to go to them? Reach across the table to them. Number four. The fourth people group that we need to be focusing on that we need to realize it's a part of our responsibility, and that's your unknowns, your unfamiliars, your uncomfortables. There are places that are unknown. There are uncomfortable places. I guarantee you where the halls are going is an uncomfortable, unfamiliar, unknown place. We, as world-class followers of Christ, need to realize that Jesus didn't just give His commission to His Quiet little 12 guys. He gave it to his entire following. He gave it to his entire kingdom to expand his kingdom to the unknown, the unfamiliar places of this world. Jesus said it not once, but he said it continually. You heard a few weeks ago when Todd Aaron was here about how God has always had all the nations of all the world on his heart. 
If you look at Matthew 28, verse 19, he talks there about the ends of the earth. And also in Mark chapter uh, 16, verse 15, he tells us to preach the gospel to every uh, creature. And in Luke chapter 24, verse uh, 27, he talks about repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. What's this about nations, creatures, all creatures of the world? What's this all about? Actually, the word nations is not talking about a geopolitical border. It's talking about ethnic groups. That every ethnic group in the world would hear and know. Missiologist Lewis Bush created what was realized at that time, just a breakthrough thought whenever he created what was called the 1040 window. He didn't create the 1040 window, I should take that back, but he observed the 1040 window. He realized that there was something going on in the world, that so much of the world had access to the gospel, but yet there was a last frontier that was still unchartered in many places, unreached in many places. Like again, when you think about the halls where they're going, where there's 0.07%, how many is that in a nation? Or a couple of other missionaries that will be here in a couple of weeks, they're in a nation where there's 0.01% evangelical Christians. See, and all of this is happening in the 1040 window. I want to educate you on this today because Lewis Bush brought this out a number of years ago and he brought it out and he said this. He said, the realization is that a baby born in the rest of the world, any child born in the rest of the world has a pretty good chance at any other place in the rest of the world, of growing up and hearing the witness of Jesus Christ. But a baby born in the 1040 window will likely hear silence when it comes to the witness of Christ. Will live for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years and never know what the name Jesus Christ means or what He did. Let the silence of the moment echo in your minds. In Jesus' famous Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, He's talking with His disciples, trying to give them a picture of what the end of times would look like when God would come back again to the earth and when He would reclaim all the people that were followers of Him and He didn't know the time or the hour, he even said himself. So I guarantee anybody today who professes the time or the hour, they don't know what they're talking about. But Jesus did say this. He did say there's one indication that you can know when I will come back. Matthew 24 verse 14 says this, The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, ethnic groups there. Then the end will come. See, here's a life principle for you. As you get up in the morning, you wonder when Jesus is going to come back. The end can't come until the work is done. Pure and simple. We've got work to do. You say, Mike, this is not my responsibility. This is not my fault. Yes, it is. It's all of our responsibility. Are we all supposed to load up and go like the halls and move around the world? Maybe not. But we're all supposed to give. We're all supposed to pray. If we're not spending moments and minutes and hours in prayer for the unreached people groups of the world, do we really believe what Jesus calls us to? 
You say, Mike, I'm not going to go, but maybe I can help support, financially support what's going on around the world. You realize that there are still 6,426 untouched people groups out there with the gospel of Christ. Untouched. Not a clear witness, not a clear Bible, not a church, not a missionary in many of those places. And that's out of 16,595 different people groups that make up our world. I think about what happened in September of 2006. What happened in September of 2006 was something that caught me off guard because I wasn't so much a part of that. But as a group of four women from our church went over to a West African nation and they were just going over on a vision trip just to catch, capture po- photos to come back and to help cast a vision for what was going on around the world. And these four women go over and they were going to one of these 6,426 people groups. And as they were going, they realized when they were there that there are 4,438,000 of these people in this one people group. And out of this 4,438,000 people in this one people group that we are reaching out to, only 1.3% are followers of Jesus. And I am glad to say as a church we have taken on this people group in West Africa and we have, in a sense, with our hearts and our minds and our finances, we have tried to own a village for Christ. And we have seen some beautiful things happen. We have financially, and I went back this week and just compared, we have financially committed to teams going over there, over $300,000 in teams going over there. We've had a special scholarship that was given to help people go. There's $75,000 given to help people go and reach this people group. A beautiful, amazing sacrifice. That 75000 is nearly gone because we crossed the century mark this last trip that went when we sent our 100th team member to this one village. This one village received 100 team members in and out, some for two weeks, some for up to three months. As Sarah Williams went over there and worked. We sent 16 teams. And I think about the work. We've sent firemen, engineers, teachers, business people, retired executives, students, children, administrative assistants, landscapers, category analysts to serve any length of time. So what does this mean? What, what does this mean for our ROI, if you will? It's a lot of money to put into something. What's our ROI on this? Well, you know, I thought I could sit here and tell you about the church that was started and the next church that's being planted now from the church that we've helped to start. And I could tell you about the other villages that, that are being reached right now, but I thought instead, let's sing about it. And I want to have some of our team members actually help share what God has done since 2006. So let's join in sing. Yeah. 
Struggling with the the concept of baptism, and uh, they were quite adamantly opposed to it. And at one point, one of the leaders actually said, "You know, if Jesus came up to me today and said you need to be baptized, I would say no." But God was great, and He allowed us to send another team that same year, and He had softened the hearts of the people of Mali. So that way, when the team went, they witnessed 26 baptisms, and a church was finally born. And our friendship grew with the believers in Cave Village who sat in their courtyard and listened to them story creation to Christ to their friends and family. Alright, so the reason we're singing this song this morning is because we taught the people in Cave Village this song. So we want you to sing this with us a little bit of Bombra, not all of it. Alright, we're not asking too much. And this is how we're going to sing this, okay? You repeat this after me. Mbafeka Kule. Say it. 
I said you didn't buy fake Kool-Aid. Hallelujah. I better call Jesus, okay? Here we go. We're going to sing this together just for singing in the cave village. about the life of Jesus. At that time, a cross was built, and it's still standing today. At this time, teams were teaching about prayer, confessing sin, and walking with Christ. And the first youth in K-Village accepted Christ as his Savior, and generations had begun. In February of uh, 08, we were able to go in story with one of the elders' creation to Christ. And a blind elder who could not see physically gave his life and was able to see spiritually what he could not see physically. He gave his life to following Christ in that hut. And another man came to our, our little Grace Point Hilton. And on that day, he wanted it as a follower of Christ. He wanted a new name because his name in, in, in Barbara meant that of a, of, of a fetish or a cultic God. And he wanted a new name. And that represented his new life in Christ. And so we gave him a new name. His name was Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was born again. And his name now in Bombra is Nicodeme. And so we celebrate him today. Did you know, in late 2008, believers were struggling with their faith. And the chief who had professed that Jesus was his life now said, no, I cannot do that. I need to perform the duties village requires of me and they were struggling and just like all of us do we struggle sometimes
creation to Christ is shared and the lives were changed as four people decided to take the Jesus road. In November 2009, the team witnessed its six baptisms in N Village. So now we're seeing it going beyond K Village on to other villages and new believers are being commissioned there. When I think about the Lord and how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, Sing this in Bomber, okay? 